The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. It's wonderful to see all our children up here. I had the privilege when I first came to the church, I was the pastor of children and youth, and I have many, many good memories. And I'm going to share one of them with you right away, but I'm going to ask you first to turn to your Bibles to Galatians 6, and we'll do our scripture reading after I tell you a little story. So this was back in 2007, and pretty much once or twice a year, I would take our youth exec on a planning retreat. There'd usually be six to eight youth and about five or seven adult leaders, and we went to Circle Square Ranch, and we had a really good planning retreat, kind of planning for the whole year. They always have a little bit of time just as a break and just to have some fun, and we were at Circle Square Ranch, and I went with two of my leaders, Holly Bakun at the time, her name is Holly Wynn now, and uh, Barry Swatsky, we went for a little walk just to explore the grounds. I had never been there before. And all of a sudden we see uh, kind of like a little bit of a valley and this structure, we didn't know exactly what it was, but it didn't take long to figure out, oh, it's a, it's a zip line. Oh, this looks like so much fun. So we go to the, uh, the structure where it starts, but the gate's closed. It says, you know, it's locked. And I'm like, well, they shouldn't build something if you don't want to use it. And so I was a bad example, and I climbed over the thing, and I went to the top, and I said, Holly, go get me the rope. She goes, Doug, I'm not sure we should do this. I said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Let's do this. So she came, and she brought the rope to me, and I got on top, and I got ready to go. And wouldn't you know it, Barry was so kind that he had his video camera on, and this is what happened. There's a big knot at the bottom of the rope. Okay. Think I can make it, Barry? I do. Hold on. Oh! Anyway, I figured that was a little bit appropriate today as we talk about sowing and reaping, and you reap what you sow. You cause some trouble, you get some trouble. Will you stand with me, and we will start our reading in Galatians uh, 6, and I'll read verses 6 to 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Please be seated. So our, our theme today is sowing and reaping, and this passage is very clear that there is a, a mutable law that is just existing. God has created it to be this way, that we sow what we reap. And the first thing we read in uh, Galatians 6, verse 7, and my slides aren't moving forward for me. Here we go, let's see. There we go. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say is that we should not be surprised with our crop. God's not surprised at all with what we will have as our eternal rewards. 
So the first thing Paul says here is do not be deceived. Uh, It's easy for us to be self-deceived, especially because of our pride. Uh, Paul alludes to that before, saying that that we shouldn't be, don't think of yourself higher than you ought. In this passage, it says, if someone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's deceived. That was said in 6 verse 3. And we have to be very concerned that quite often, if I'm not in tune with the Holy Spirit, I'm living in a way that I'm blinded to my own flesh. I'm blind to the direction I go apart from the Holy Spirit unless I walk in Him. And God wants us to know that He is not mocked There's not a way that we can live and say, oh, what I do doesn't matter. God will just forgive me for this. I can live however I want because I'm in grace now. God is not mocked. God knows everything that we're doing, and he says, this is the law that I've made. Whatever one sows, that is what one will reap. There is no blaming God for the end result of our lives. So what I want to say here is that this is not talking so much about maybe the circumstances you find yourself in as the consequences, as the consequences of your life. Consequences are that we make choices and there's an end result. Sometimes we're in circumstances that have nothing to do with what we've chosen to do. They're just hard circumstances. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about at the end of the day, when we get into a situation, we say, my choice has led me here. These are my consequences. God's not mocked, and God can't be blamed for those kind of choices. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says this. It says, people's own foolishness ruins their lives, but in their minds, they blame God. Have you done that before? I've done that before. I've made choices, hasn't gone well, and I blame God. I might not blame God right in the moment, but I blame him if the consequences are long-term. And then I say, Lord, I thought you forgave me. Why is this still happening? And God will say, Doug, because you are forgiven. Your sin's forgiven. But your choice had consequences. And those haven't been removed. Now, that's a lot easier to think of when you're thinking of something physical, right? When you think of with your body. If you choose to uh, live with someone outside of marriage, if you decide to have sex before marriage and you, you catch it, if you have an STD or if you find out that you're pregnant, that's a consequence of an action. And that will stay with you. But God still meets us wherever we're at. He says, I forgive you, I love you, and I will move forward with you. But don't be deceived. What you reap is what you sow. If you reap to your flesh, you will get your flesh. If you reap to the Spirit, you get your spirit. And that's the next verse. Here it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption meaning decay, death, destruction. But from the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. And this doesn't just mean that, so if you reap to the Spirit, one day you get to go to heaven. No, it's if you reap to the Spirit, you will reap the life with Him now. You will live in the strength and the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit today. You will live and know eternal life as it's meant to be known today, so that you can anticipate it and have hope for the future. That's what eternal life is for. So we see that there's two things here that are battling. And and this, again, is not about salvation in this context. In this context, this is about we have choices to make as Christians. And so we can choose to make choices that are to our flesh, or we can make choices that are towards the Spirit. So which one are we going to choose? 
Earlier on in Galatians 3, verse 3, Paul says to the Galatians, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So earlier on in the letter, he's talking to them saying, you, you heard this message of grace and you so eagerly received it. You heard the beautiful news about Jesus Christ and you came to him unencumbered. And now there's these deceitful teachers that are teaching you legalistic things about what you need to do to remain a Christian. Don't do that. Do you think that what started in the flesh, what started in the spirit, you can now perfect in the flesh? No, you can't do that. Now towards the end of the letter, he's been talking so much about grace, saying that you are not under the law. You have complete freedom. None of your actions save you. Only God saves you. You are in grace. But are you so foolish? I'm paraphrasing here. Are you so foolish to think that the grace that you've experienced in God can be used for your flesh? Do you think that it pleases God to receive his grace, but then to live in freedom by exploiting your flesh? No, you, you can't live that way. What you reap, what you sow is what you reap. And as a Christian, when you have the freedom of Christ, it's the freedom to choose to live in Christ. It's not the freedom to sin. I was stuck in sin before. That was the only thing I could do. But when Christ got a hold of my life, when he gave me his Holy Spirit, each and every circumstance I'm in, I have a choice to make now. Before, I just chose my flesh. But now I can say, no, the flesh isn't what I want. I want life from the Holy Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Every moment that we have choices to make, we can choose to live in the Holy Spirit. I am not my own. I am bought at a price. You want to be deceived? Think that life is about you. Think that life is about what God can do for us. No, life is about God and what he has done for us and who we are in him and what he will do in and through us so that we might have abundant life in him. Remember these things every time we make a choice. We are able to sow to either the flesh or the spirit, but we are not free from the consequences of that choice. Okay, so every moment of your day when you have choices to make, you can choose that. But real freedom isn't choosing the flesh as though, oh, well, I, I just want to have freedom. I want to do my own thing. That's not really freedom. Freedom is living in the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, I choose you in this moment. Lord, change my thought life. Direct my thought life. Work in and through me. Flow through me. Because when I sow to the flesh, it only leads to destruction. And when I sow to the Spirit, it reaps eternal life in the here and now. And I want to experience that. You know, the danger for me is I don't always notice the consequences of my sin. Sometimes I sin, it gives me what I wanted, and there's no obvious consequence. That's a dangerous thing. I've asked God to shape my thought life, saying, Lord, don't, don't have me just obey you because there's a negative consequence that I don't want. Lord, at the end of the day, my life is about relationship with you. And, and this thing doesn't seem to bother me, but I know it bothers you. And that has to hurt our relationship. That has to hurt my ability to hear from your Holy Spirit and walk in your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, help me to choose you rather than my flesh. You know, just to remind us of what those things of the flesh and of the spirit are, you can turn to your Bibles to Galatians 5. And I'm just going to read verses uh, 19 to 23. This is just a reminder so that we, we know what we're talking about here based on the book of Galatians. Uh, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, ritz, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Wow, I wish that was completely true of me. That's not completely true of me. I'm a work in progress. We all have things that are absolutely true about us, that if we've given our life to Christ, we are secure in him. We are considered pure and blameless in him. But in our lives, in our daily living, we still choose sin. At least I choose sin way more than I would like to. Then I have to say, I just be careful, I said more than I would like to. You know what the problem is? Sometimes I like my sin. And I have to say, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, would you change my heart? Because I like something that is opposed to you, and I don't recognize how it damages our relationship. I don't recognize it as bringing destruction on me and to those that I'm with. I'm, I gave you a little bit of an image on the handout. It's just a picture of a field, and if you can imagine that we're sowing seeds, you're sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit, and here's a field. And in that field, there's a limited space, there's a limited time, and you're throwing seeds. What are the things that you're sowing that are actually becoming weeds and are starting to take up that garden space? And what are the things that you're sowing that you're saying, these are the things that I really want to see the Lord bring to fruition in my life? Again, all these things are based on the Holy Spirit empowering us. But he says, Doug, everyone, you have the choice to make. I don't make these choices for you. You choose. So I want to encourage you to take some time to think about some things in your life where you say, Lord, I really need your help because I realize I've been sowing to my flesh and I haven't really thought it's too bad. Or maybe I do know it's so bad, but I just seem to be caught in it. Lord, you said you freed me. Help me to experience that freedom. Help me to choose you. My thought life needs to be changed. My choices need to reflect my thought life. I just want to encourage you that, that the whole point in this is that if you're sowing to your flesh, you can't expect to reap the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. God is not foolish. God cannot be bought. God cannot be manipulated. If, as Christians, you're sowing to the flesh, you will not reap to the Spirit. And God wants us to reap to the Spirit. He came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. Not just so that we could say, hey, one day I'm not going to go to hell. One day I'm going to go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? No. God says, 
I came so that you can have life in me. I came so that we have relationship together. I came so that through you, I might be expressed to everyone around you. That's what eternal life is. Being in connection with our loving Savior. So don't be surprised with the crop. Whenever that time comes that we are going to be accountable for, sometimes we see it in the moment, there's a time coming in the future. Don't be surprised by the crop of your life because God's not. He sees everything as it is. And he's gracious and he's loving, but he's also just and he's also holy. And we need to remember that all those things make the beautiful character of our God. He would not be beautiful if those things weren't true about him. So we move on to verse 9, and the point here is just don't grow weary of doing good. Don't, don't give up. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we will not give up. So don't grow weary in doing good. I don't know about you, but it's very weary to just get tired in general life, but just doing good, meaning good things that will help people in their walk with God, things that will help them in their daily living. Don't go grow weary. Maybe you're physically tired, emotionally tired, relationally tired. In this context, I think the weariness has to do with sometimes when you throw seeds out, you've got to wait a long time before you see something happen. Those who are farmers know that principle. This is an agricultural principle, right? You sow, and in a few months, you see the crop come. But till then, you wait. And you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen with the weather. You don't know exactly what your crop's going to look like. And you have to be patient, patiently waiting. And God says, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Also in Galatians, we hear this verse 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know why I grow weary sometimes? Because I decide to gratify the desires of my flesh. And when I do that, that's a battle against the Spirit. We're always in a battle. The Bible says that. Every day you have choices to make, and you're either walking with God, winning with God, or you're, or you're giving in to the flesh. And when you give in to the flesh, when I give in to the flesh, it makes me weary in doing good. It, it makes it hard to be anticipating the good things that God might want to do in and through my life because I know there's something that's not in line. There's not something that's not in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, I, um, the Holy Spirit does give us power to help us. I, I didn't know I'd have this object lesson today. Isn't it cute? It's a little penguin. I think it was used as a search and find over the weekend. It's got music going on. Look at that. Anyways, I went to the children's area, and these kids, they were playing with it, and they were playing with it like this. Hey, penguin! And I don't know about you, but if I was this penguin, I would grow really weary very fast. But it keeps getting up. And I don't know what its secret is. Well, I kind of do. I could figure that out. But I do know that for me... And for us, the only real solution to not growing weary is by having life in the Holy Spirit abundantly 
and doing everything I possibly can to stop hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I really think that's your and my primary job is to get rid of the things that hinder the Holy Spirit from working through us. Because when he works in and through us, we have exactly what we need to do the good that the world needs to have. And when he tells us to rest, we rest. When he tells us to work, we work. But when I gratify my flesh, I can't discern that well. And I start living on my own thought life rather than God's thought life. The first time I read through my Bible, I was 18. I remember being surprised by many of the things I read there. And uh, two verses really stood out to me. One was a few weeks ago when Azra talked about Revelation, and it was to the church of Philippi. I have this against you. You have lost your first love. That verse just wrecked me because I had to admit, Lord, I don't even think you're my first love. And here a church, a people are being told, I have this against you. You're not my first love. Since that day, I have been asking the Lord, Lord, help me to live, to experience you so much to love you so much because you first loved me that you really are my first love, that you're the first person I think of, that you're the one I want to have life with. Lord, help me. I'm so far from that. There's so many things that tempt me away from you being my first love. Lifelong battle, battle worth fighting every day. But the other thing that really brought awareness to me, because I hadn't heard this in church before, at least I might have heard it, but I might not have been listening. I understand that too. 1 Corinthians 3, and I will read verses 11 to 15. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I hadn't heard that before. It hadn't registered with me what that meant. So if I understand things correctly, by God's grace, my life, and I hope your life, has been given to Christ. By his grace, I am a new creation. By his grace, my life has a foundation on Jesus Christ. But from the day that I gave my life to Christ, God says, Doug, you have a building to build, and you can choose what type of materials you're going to use. Gold, silver, straw, wood, whatever it is, you have a structure to build. I want you to build it for my glory and your good. But you have choices to make, Doug. And every day you make a choice, and you choose what that building looks like. But Doug, don't be deceived. Doug, don't be mocked. Don't think I can be mocked, because someday you will give account to me. And everything in your life, that foundation stays. By God's grace, I am in a relationship, but everything will be tested. And some stuff will just burn up and it's gone. And other stuff will last for eternity. You know, I've struggled with that passage at times, saying how could people in, be in heaven and not be sad about what's taken place because things get burned up and destroyed. But 
this is what I believe about God from his word, is that God only makes me aware of things that are sin in my life so that he can see that I was in bondage and that he's my savior. That I had sin and he's my forgiver. Where there has been much sin and much forgiveness, there's been much love. And so I believe that all of us someday, we don't have a judgment before Christ as far as are you in heaven or not. That answer for us is no, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid our price. We are in relationship with him. But there's another time where we will stand before God and he'll say, Doug, here's your life. And I'm like a fire going through it. And only what's left, only that was, that was done by being in the spirit will be what's left for eternity. That's the reward. And I think all the stuff that burns away, the reason I won't have eternal sorrow is because in that moment I will realize how gracious my Savior has been to me all my life. I didn't think I... I didn't think I had that many things, Lord, that you needed to forgive me for. I didn't realize that I ignored you so much, God. I didn't realize that all these good things I was doing for the church often wasn't with you or in your strength or in your power. Oh, Father, thank you so much that you are so forgiving. I do not deserve you. I do not deserve eternity. Only because you're gracious am I here. Remember, we reap what we sow. Lost track of pictures there. But this is the thing that I, I want all of us to hear is that God's heart for us is to be able to look at our life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives us grace. He calls us to live in grace so that we might experience life in him and live for him in such a way that he is glorified, we are blessed, and the world has the witness of who God is. God wants his children to succeed in him, to be blessed in him. So, when you wonder what should you do when you get weary of doing good, remember that there is a time ahead where things will be made right. It might not be today. But there is a time coming that God says, this is a sure fact. This is going to happen. You will have a reward. That should excite us. That should make me say, Lord, I want to live every day for you. I want to have life with you because I want to know that how I live today has beautiful impact for eternity. And I thank you for that. So how do we work a life or live a life where there's rewards. Well, part of it is just recognizing opportunities to others. This is verse 10 and also alluded to, I think, in verse 6. It says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. You've heard Pastor Terry mention before that there's different words in Greek. There's kairos and chronos. And kairos is the word used here, which means for a specific time, a, a, a specific opportunity. Some people would say, well, that opportunity is now till you die because you've been saved and you have all these days. I think it does mean that. There's a, there's a big picture. We have a limited amount of time on earth. As we have opportunity, do good to everyone. 
But I also think it means that, that every day God, if we're listening to him, if we're keeping in step with his spirit, he will lead us towards doing good for others in a way that in, he's empowering, he's enabling, he makes us aware of. One of my constant prayers is, I don't pray again, Lord, give me more opportunities. I usually pray, Lord, help me to see the opportunities you give me today. You decide what they are, Lord. I don't know what the best opportunity is, but Lord, help me not to miss the opportunities you give me today. And help me not to miss the fact that they're meant to be done with you in the strength of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to make the most of each and every opportunity. And let's do good to everyone. This is much broader than as a church. It could be easily to get caught in the trap of just thinking, oh, well, so we have to be very focused on discipleship and outreach. Of course we do. But our calling throughout our lives is to be just looking for the opportunity to do good for other people, care for them, to love others as you've been loved yourself. Paul says, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's one of the ways that we do good to other people. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're wondering what God wants to do with your life, there's different answers. But one of the things is he wants you to experience the joy of doing good without worrying about what that crop will be when it, or when it will be evident. He will say, you live this life, there will be a harvest. There will be good things in your life, no matter what your circumstances look like now. If you love your neighbor as yourself, that pleases me. If you love others as I've loved you, that pleases me. And you can't really love others if you're not receiving the love of God yourself. One of the reasons why I grow weary sometimes is I realize is that I'm getting empty. And I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't been spending enough time with you to be filled by you, to enjoy you, to receive you. Because when I have you, I know what I have to give others. But when I'm just doing something because it, it ends up feeling kind of legalistic because a Christian should live this way, it's often very empty. Or you can be deceived. And because you see fruit, you, you rejoice in that and you get deceived and you keep living that way. But God says, you forgot about me. You're not doing things with me or in my direction or in my strength. So love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, he mentions, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Just briefly tie into verse 6 here. Verse 6 is kind of a weird verse. It's just kind of put in between 5 and 7. I don't know who puts the numbers on things. But that verse is there, and, and, and there will be different opinions of why it's there. But I think it does tie into this when it says about loving people. It says, let the one who has taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches the word. Meaning that if, you're, if there's someone who's investing in you, teaching God's truth to you, be sure that you also treat them well. The, the premise here seems to be often a lot with material, with financials. It's implying so that this person can be focused on the teaching, that they can do that. You support them for that. But it's deeper than that. I think it's fellowship as well. The Bible talks about if you've learned something from God, if you've been blessed, share that with someone else. Those of you who are teachers, I'm pretty sure one of the great joys of your life isn't just when someone tells you that they've learned something from you, 
But when on their own, they continue learning and then they share their insights with you. And you say, that's wonderful. I'm learning from you too. We need to love others as we love ourselves. And so um, the Bible, Paul, here is very clear to say, do good to everyone. There's no boundaries here. Everybody deserves to be loved by you, by the love of Christ. But there is a special responsibility to love those who are in the household of faith. You know why? Because we're united far deeper than we know. And God says that we are one with him and we're one with each other. And if we're not living in such a way where we care for one another, what does that say about how we feel about our relationship with God? Our relationship with God is meant to be reflected in all our other relationships, especially with Christians, because there it should be mutual. We should be giving and receiving from God through each other. Paul says this in Galatians 5.13, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So again, we each have choices to make. Every single day, we're going to reap what we sow. Don't be fooled by, or don't think that your crop's going to be something different than what you're sowing today. God's not fooled. He's not going to forget those things. There are consequences. Forgiveness happens. Of course forgiveness happens, but consequences follow by what we sow. Don't grow weary in doing good. That's what your heavenly Father does for you all the time. Whether we appreciate it or not, he's continually being good to you. And that's why he wants us to continually be good to others. And then look for every opportunity to do good to others. And how do I know what that good is? Love others as I want to be loved myself. That's a pretty easy principle. Lord, help me to, help me to remember that in each and every circumstance where I find it so weary to do good. And help me to live in your strength. I just want to encourage you with one thing as we... Uh, close today. In our world, we really need to be intentional in finding ways to grow in our love for one another as a, a church family. We need to be very intentional to say, Lord, I only have so much time in my day. I have so many people in my life. I want to be sure that I'm growing in loving relationships with those who love you. So what does that look like in our church? If you have ideas about how we can grow closer to one another based on the love of Christ, will you share that with the leaders in our church? Will you share with that as pastors? One of the ideas was come to the table so that we could come and have a meal together just by spending time together and grow to love each other as we have conversations that have a Christ-centeredness to it. We need to very intentionally think about how we are going to take the calling of God serious on our life. And it's serious that he says, love one another. It's serious. And you know why it's serious? At the end of the day, because God knows that we're in him. We have eternal life with him. What's going to be reaped, we'll find out after we die. We, we have a good idea now by what we sow. But there's so many people who don't know Christ, and the clearest I understand the Bible to say is that the world will know we're Christians by our love. And I don't know how people can come to know Christ. I know they will hear his word and it will not come back void. But the Bible says the people will know we're Christians by our love that exists among us. 
And if we don't have that, we're lacking witness. Isn't that a beautiful thing to say, Lord, I want that sort of goal in my life. I want to be more in love with this church family next year than I am today. Why? Because I want to bring people who I love who don't yet know you to this place. So they hear the word of God, yes. So they hear us praise God, yes. But so that they hear and experience the Holy Spirit working among us. And that can't be programmed, but it can be prepared for. We can prepare spaces where we we anticipate what God might do. Church, we need to think about this deeply because we all have people in our lives that we love who don't know Christ. And the most effective way to have that happen is to have a vibrant relationship, God, not just by ourselves, but together. And then to say, please, we extend our friendship to you. No matter what you do, whether you say yes to Christ or no to Christ, we do good to you because our God has done good to us. Please stand with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a a knowable God to the degree that you let us know you. You are so much more majestic than we can imagine, but you have revealed enough to let us know that you are the creator of all things and that you created us in your image so that we might have eternal life with you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that he sent. And we thank you that we have life in you, that we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And we thank you that you don't call us to do things on our own. You call us to do things with you and each other. And Father, we confess that so often we forget these simple truths. We forget that we are meant to walk and step with your Holy Spirit. We don't often even know how to, Lord. We desire to grow in our understanding of what it means to have an intimate, a close walk with you, for you to direct our thoughts, for us to be an expression of your character to this world. So Lord, mature us as a church family. Give us wisdom, Lord, and how we can move forward in ways that will open our eyes to how wonderful you are. Show us, Lord, who we're meant to be in you, who you say we are in you, and then help us to live from that reality to the world around us. Lord, may we be a people that are known for doing good. And may people also see that it's for your glory. We ask for your blessing, Father, and we ask it for the sake of Jesus Christ, and we know that you receive that prayer and answer that prayer because it glorifies you. Bless this church family. Make us fruitful, Lord. Help us not to remember that there is eternal reward with you. Help us not to sow to our flesh, but to sow to your spirit. In the precious name of Christ, amen. Have a good day, my friends.